0: Who are they? How did they get here? And where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. (music) The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today we're joined in the Sojournal podcast by 2018 Johnson University, Florida graduate Caleb Elkins. Caleb, welcome to the Sojournal podcast. Hey, so glad to be here. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Would you mind introducing yourself for those alumni listening in who don't have a clue who you are?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So as you said, uh, my name is Caleb Elkins. I am 26 years old and I have a wife. Her name is Elena Elkins. Uh, We've been married for about three years now. We're getting ready to go on four next month. Uh, Ever since the beginning of our relationship, we have had a heart of pursuing missions and are currently getting ready to do that. We currently live in Ocoee, Florida. Hopefully that is getting ready to change soon. Uh, I was born and raised in Orlando, Florida as well.
0: All right. So always been around Orlando. Now yeah. you mentioned Elena. Is, she's a Johnson University graduate as well, is she not?
1: Yes, she is. Same year.
0: Great. To get started in the podcast, we want to know a little bit about your spiritual journey. Were you raised in a Christian home?
1: I was. I was raised in the Christian Church, Church of Christ, actually grew up at First Christian Church of Orlando, uh, which used to be Central Florida Bible College. That used to be the, the first location uh, before my time, though. Um, and yeah, that, that's my home church.
0: What was life like for you growing up in a Christian family or, or in that church? What did the development of your faith look like?
1: I was, I was pretty blessed in terms of uh, a good Christian home. Both my parents are very devout Christians. I have uh, three other siblings. I'm, I'm the third of four. So um, I have an older sister, an older brother, and a younger sister, uh, Sarah, Seth, and then me, and then Chloe. Uh, in terms of the church life, um, I loved it. I loved going to church when I was a kid. If we ever had to miss a Sunday, which was pretty rare, I was pretty upset. I had uh, four friends that I grew up with that we all actually ended up going to Johnson together in the end. But Connor Wood, who I've known since first grade, Jacob Cox, who's my cousin. So I've known him since birth. Dominic Jenkins, we met in high school. He's known Connor since uh, since they were young as well. They play on the same soccer team. And then Greg Wasden, who um, we went to the same high school together and um, ended up he ended up coming to church essentially kind of through Jacob's family. Uh, yeah, so so they were a huge part of my de- spiritual development. And then uh, my youth minister, Sean Fournier was a huge, and he's also an alumni as well. Uh, he was a huge influence on um, particularly missions for me. It was a lot of his missions trips that led me into to pursue this in ministry. So,
0: so Connor, Jacob, Greg, Dominic, they were all with you in the youth group and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we
1: we're all very very close in age. I I I failed a grade in elementary school, so I was actually I was actually completely behind the pack. They graduated ahead of me at Johnson. Yeah, we all really poured into each other, and it kind of as iron sharpens iron was was would probably be a verse that that would really be really good to describe uh, our life growing up. Um, you know, and one of us would step out of line, the other one would smack the other upside the head, sort of thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> was Sean always your youth minister?
1: Yeah. Since the beginning, he, he was, he was there the whole time. My, my older siblings had a a different unit minister for a little bit when they got into high school, but Sean was there uh, the whole time that I was there. So.
0: Okay. As you were growing up in the faith, when would you say that you latched on to faith as your own? Yeah. So
1: that's a good question. So when I typically tell people how uh, you know, like our callings kind of take, take time in steps, right? Like, it's not like God says, you know, when I'm in, in the fifth grade, you know, God says, I want you to go to Scotland one day sort of thing, you know? So it started off with me getting baptized in the fifth grade. And it was uh, the way I describe it was it was partially, I just wanted to take part of the snack time every day that people uh, got to be a part of. And, but on a, on a more innocent level, I, I think, you know, uh, like like I said, Connor was baptized at the time, and so were a lot of my other friends and um and my siblings were, my older siblings were and and I just saw this family that I didn't really understand it. I didn't really understand baptism so much, but I just knew I really wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it wasn't really an intellectual here's the right answers to why I should get baptized, but it was it was more on an in-depth level of of an of an emotional attachment of a of a longing to be a part of something. And so that was kind of the the first time I wanted to get baptized. Connor got baptized and I was like, dude, like I want to do this. And so I went and told my parents and and my mom was like, well, can you tell me why you want to get baptized? And I was like, no. And kind of like Connor did it. And and then my mom was like, you have to be able to, to sort of tell me like what baptism means and that sort of stuff. So I just went back and Asked Connor what it means. And then like five seconds later, I went up to my mom after I'd asked the first time and she said, no, like let's wait a little bit. And so <laughs> I was rejected about four times until I was at camp Lake Aurora and uh, my counselor, I don't know his name. The only thing I know about him is that he doesn't have a pinky on one of his hands. That's all I know. Um, and he and I had some really good conversations about it and I called my parents and they were all for it. And Uh, I don't remember if I gave the right answer. I think they just heard sort of a passion in the way that I was talking, that it was more genuine. And I tell people that I was baptized by the pinky list man. So, (laughs) um, so that was kind of the start of it all. And then as life went on and faith started to become more real and I realized that yes, it's about being a part of this family, but what does it mean to offer your life up to Christ? You know, growing up in the youth group, um, my, my grandmother is a missionary in Latvia and so that like missions was something that was almost normalized in my mind. Um, I obviously, I, I know a little bit more about it now, but back then it was like, she's a missionary. And a lot of my friends that weren't Christians got that confused with the word mercenary. So that was <laughs> a funny thing to explain. But um, it started to become my own um, as I got older in the youth group and started to really want to take this seriously. You know, I, I understood the love that Christ had for me and really wanted other people to know that and experience it. Even from a young age, I remember being like at school and telling kids boldly about Jesus, you know, sort of thing and not fully understanding a lot of other things about it, but but still not being afraid of it, as, as much afraid of it as I probably am more even so today. But I would say the moment that things really changed were really when I started to get into high school, I began to really take God more seriously, especially at um, CIY Move. Uh, It's a youth conference that our youth group would go to every year. But on top of that, uh, Sean would actually plan a whole nother week for us to debrief about CIY. So kind of to come off of that CIY high and kind of have our heads level a little bit more. Uh, But to be able to talk seriously about what what we learned about at CIY and stuff like that. So CIY was a time when I started taking things seriously. And then also mission trips. If there was a mission trip, I would go on it. Like my family didn't vacation a lot, but I loved to travel. Um, And so our vacation, my parents said, rather than investing a bunch of money in family vacations, you know, like our kids really want to go on these mission trips and go on CIY Move and stuff like that. And both my parents were youth sponsors. And so that was sort of our vacation time was instead of spending money on this, we spent money on this. And so so I've been to Haiti uh, multiple times uh, with Sean, um, and I've been to Mexico once uh, with him. And then outside of that, I've been to a lot of other countries as well on uh, specifically mission trips. But um, the mission trips really helped me see the world in a different way and saw, see something that I was really passionate about. And that was just this idea of the church being everywhere, not just in one place, but seeing that other people worship in their own setting and uh, slowly beginning to understand you know, how the church itself is a global community. It's a global nation we're all nomads kind of wandering the earth. And, and so I became very passionate about that and find trying to find the beauty in other cultures. And, you know, where, where's the image of God and where's the sinfulness and, and um, all that different sort of stuff. So I, I started to get really fascinated with a lot of cultures. And um, it also really upset me how divided the church was. I, from a young age, I didn't understand why there were different denominations. My, my grandparents um, on my mom's side are heavily Catholic. My dad's side is very Baptist. And uh, so I didn't really understand why we were so divided, And um, which I guess is something that now I definitely appreciate about the Church, Church, Church of Christ movement and what it was founded on was that idea of unity uh, and really pursuing that um, genuinely. And so as I got older, especially in high school, uh, I really wanted my mission, what I felt called to, to be... Uh, uniting the church, being a part of that. Now, back then, I was a kid and, and had all these grand dreams about how awesome it was going to be. Uh, and now I'm humbled to even know that I just have a small part in playing in all of that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say there was a defining point in when I started to take my faith seriously, but it was almost as though from the beginning, it was something that I took seriously, but always took it more seriously as we went along.
0: Mm-hmm. The mission trip experience, I understand what you're saying about how impactful that has been for you in developing your faith and a world perspective Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. Um, When you graduated high school, did you have a a firm sense that you wanted to pursue ministry in an intercultural setting?
1: Yeah. So um, when I graduated, definitely, So going back to how I I failed a grade in elementary school, that really poured a lot into like how smart I believed I was. And that was, I did not believe I was very smart at all. So I loved math. I loved all that different sort of stuff, but I never really pushed myself. And so when it came time coming toward the end of, of high school to sort of choose a direction, I was probably in my junior year and dead set on going into the military. There were some just some different things along the way that had changed. So like in in middle school, I I was dead set, I wanted to be an astronaut, and then NASA stopped sending people to the moon. And, uh, and so that I was like, well, that dream's dead. And, and then also I learned about uh, to be a pilot, like 2020 vision sort of stuff. And I'm practically blind without my glasses. So um, so then I decided that I wanted to jump out of planes. So I thought that was cool. And then there came a point where uh, I really struggled personally. This is not a critique on anybody that has uh, served in the military or anything like that. Um, but personally, I just really struggled with the idea of uh, even in self-defense, taking someone else's life that hasn't had the opportunity to meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. So then I realized, okay, I don't, I don't want to kill anyone. So then I decided uh, my pastor, is uh, Shan Wood, he was a rescue diver for the Navy. And so I was like, well, then like, I'll do that. He probably doesn't even remember this conversation because it was very short and very small. But I remember I had gone up to him and asked him and uh, he pretty much talked me out of it. <laughs> and not in the sense of saying like, don't do this, it's a terrible decision. But he pretty much asked me if I was running away from anything like, are you doing this because you're afraid to do anything else? Like, is this what God's calling you to do? And I really started thinking about it. And I realized my whole thought process behind wanting to go into the military was because it was the only place that I thought would take me. I didn't feel like I was smart enough to go to college, even from when I was in the first grade, I remember being so terrified of the concept of like how confusing taxes are that I like would sometimes cry myself to sleep about getting older and having to like deal with that. So going into the military, you know, they'd, they'd feed me, they'd take care of me, they'd tell me what to do. You know, it, 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 it was it was every every reason that I wanted to go into the military revolved around fear of anything else. And so that summer I was at a CIY and they said, anybody, and I'd gone on a few mission trips prior to that and was like seriously thinking about uh, missions. And they asked anybody that has decided to go into vocational ministry, please stand up. You know, kind of, they do that at the end of CIY. Anybody who's decided to get baptized, please stand up, decide to rededicate their life. Then they they said vocational ministry. And it had been weighing on me kind of that entire week. I was like, well, I got to, I got to make the commitment at some point. And so I stood up and uh, decided that I was going to be a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. I knew I was going to be a missionary. I just wanted to leave my options open. That's like the the honest truth behind it. After that, it really just sort of became clear. And uh, I applied to Johnson because everybody else I knew was that's where they were going. They had an intercultural studies degree. And I was like, sure, like I want to go into missions. And when I applied, they... Pretty much said, this is what your SAT score has to be. This is what your ACT score has to be. But you only have to take one of the other. I took the SAT just because it was the closest and to date. And uh, I started. Uh, I took it once, and I said, if I don't meet the requirements, I'm not going. And I got 10 points above what was what what was required. I applied, and I said, if I don't get in, I'm not going to college. And I got in, and. Um, <laughs> And then the big part was like the financial stuff was I was sitting there looking at all the money. I had my, like my first like actual real job that summer. I was a lifeguard for the YMCA saved up all that money. I was going to get a car and then uh, the college bills hit. And I was like, well, if I want to go to college, like there goes every, every bit, every penny I've made this summer. Mm -hmm. And then I was still $900 short for like what I needed to be able to get in Otherwise, I would have been paying like $1,000 a month or maybe more, which I just wouldn't have been able to do. And that first uh, semester, I owe being able to go to college to my grandma, who gave me that $900, uh, and my parents, who helped me pay the other $700 a month that I had to pay every, every month that year. And then after that, I was able to get enough scholarships and realized how important applying for scholarships was. When I was getting ready to go into college, I didn't apply for any scholarships because going to college was a brand new decision. So um, that's kind of how I got into Johnson, was just really trusting God the whole way and pretty much saying, like, if I if this doesn't happen, I'm not doing it. Uh,
0: so when you started at Johnson, you started – Right on the mission program, intercultural. studies. Yeah, I was
1: intercultural studies uh, when I first got there. Professor Roland Howard uh, was the missions professor. And then the next year we ended up getting Dr. Kendi House Douglas, who I ended up becoming a TA for. I was one of the first students that she met and she asked me if I would be her TA. And I had been praying and asking God for a job. And I looked at her and I said, I think you might want to have me as a student before you start letting me touch students' papers, and he looked at me weird. Like that's a weird response, and then walked away. And then I went to bed that night, and I was like, "Did I just throw away the opportunity that God placed in front of me? Like have a job and everything? Like, you know, again, like that? Like I'm not smart enough to do that sort of thing. Like that's for someone else who's smarter." And so the next day, I went and found Kindy. Um, I said, "If you're still willing to have me, I would love to have the job." And that created an awesome friendship uh, with. Uh, my professor and friend, Dr. Kendi Howells-Douglas, for the next three years.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. So you became Kendi's TA. Uh, obviously, you're, you're a student at Johnson on the Intercultural Studies program, and you developed a fairly strong relationship with Dr. Howells-Douglas. Now, what about the rest of your experience there? What What do you remember about your time at Johnson
1: I had a lot of students that really poured into me that were upperclassmen, especially when I was a lower classman. Um, uh, Mikey Sackrider was my D group leader. I remember going over to his room with uh, Taylor Wells and Tyler Olander and hanging out with them and having them pour into me. Dr. Harden was a, a big influence on me. You know, there were times where I would go into his office and we would just have long conversations. Uh, a big professor that had an impact on me was uh, Dr. Dave Peters. He's, uh, he doesn't work there anymore. He works for Rafa House now, but, um, uh, but he was a, a huge impact. Um, again, same with Dr. Hardin. I, I would spend a lot of time uh, in Peter's office and uh, just talk with them. And even toward the end of my time, professors that I wish that I had longer, more than just one year, David Mafood and uh, Dr. Fleener, were both uh, professors that made a large impact on me in a very short amount of time. So I, I mean, those were a lot of the professors that, that I had and, and loved. In terms of spiritual development, some of the classes that actually impacted me the most were actually classes taught by professors that I didn't have all the time. So I would say the professors that I did have all the time, whereas they, they did teach great lessons, you know, I had them all the time and, uh, and I sort of knew their perspectives. Their classes did impact me, but I would say that they definitely impact me more in in a discipleship manner um, outside the classroom. But classes that I I remember that impacted me a lot were like Worship History with uh, Bill Wolf. Hmm. Um, And I'm not even sure if he would remember me because I was just on the other side of of a webcam. But I still think about that class and a lot of things and actually how it pertains a lot to missions. Um, Getting ready to move over to Europe with, the Catholic church and uh, the Orthodox church and all that different sort of stuff. Like that was probably one of the most beneficial. Uh, I st- I, I'm going to continue to use what I learned in that class, um, the uh, worship history, because it pertains so much to that area of the world. Another class was taught by Jared Looney as an adjunct, and that was church planning and discipleship. And uh, it was primarily focused on essentially church planting or or house church planting in a post-Christian or post-modern context. Mm. And that's exactly where I'm moving to. Uh, And it was kind of a deciding factor. Elena was very focused on Europe, but I was kind of like, no, I don't want to go to Europe. And uh, uh, it feels too nice, um, I guess. Like, you know, people vacation in Europe sort of thing. Like, why would God call me there? Uh, And I'm sure that we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But Kendi brought in some of these professors to teach other missions classes and Jared Looney's class was was one of those. And then another one was uh, international community development. And that was kind of the class that saved me from actually quitting missions after a bad experience. Phil Hudson uh, was the adjunct. Uh, He works for uh, New International, used to be known as New Mission Systems International. He was my professor for that class. And I ended up interning underneath him the next summer Uh, and heading to Kenya for part of that internship. And um, just the wisdom that he poured on me, I I still will call him and ask him questions, even practical ones. He was a missionary in in Kenya for about 15 years. Uh, He was a missionary in Eastern Europe. Let's just leave it at that. Um, I I can't remember the exact country. Uh, And he did some work in Haiti as well. And so he was able to relate to me in that experience. So, those were, I'd say, probably three of the major classes. My senior year, I had a lot of really good classes that um, helped shape a lot of different things. One of Kendi's classes was a huge game changer for me, and that was mission theology. And we had to write a paper that was on a mission theology sort of topic. And from freshman year in your first missions class, uh, encountering cultures, you'll learn about a concept called contextualization. And uh, in my four years, In the missions program, I still felt like I had a hard time grasping the concept, especially when you add in this other idea of syncretism, which is essentially just contextualization taken too far. So I really struggled with where is the line between that? You know, I'm very much that I want to do the right thing kind of person. And in writing the paper, that's what I chose to do my paper on was contextualization and syncretism. And um, it genuinely helped me understand something that I know that I will use for the rest of my life uh, in terms of ministry and helping bring people to Jesus. So
0: that's neat. Well, you can take those lessons and continue to apply them. I mean, that's what college is about in ways. I mean, you know, it's, there's a lot of growth that takes place there, but that, that's certainly part of it. So you obviously at some point in your journey at Johnson met Elena, because you did not mention her as a part of your church and going to the school. So, uh, how did, how did you guys meet? What, you know, what brought that about?
1: It goes back to actually senior year of high school. We were at the same CIY. She was pretty well known for at the talent show doing Disney voice impressions. And uh, everyone thought it was awesome and absolutely loved her. I was very focused on sort of like, I didn't realize it was her at the time sort of thing. So I was like, that's really cool. My mom found out that she was going to Johnson. And so very much as my mom does, if anybody anybody were to actually know my mom, she is, she's just a very friendly, like, there are a lot of people with Bible college edu- educations that know scripture and know the Bible. But if there is anyone that I know that lives out the love of Christ more than anyone I know, it is my mother. Mm. So um, uh, it it's always something that, and, and she digs into scripture like nobody's business um, and digs deeper and does all her own like understanding and research. But it's just always a reminder that we're nothing if we don't have love. So, so my mom runs up to Elena and uh, says, you're going to Johnson. My son's going to Johnson. And it's like super excited. And uh, I was actually with Sean at one point and um, Sean Fournier, and, and uh, he actually pointed at Elena and said, um, there's your future wife. You should go talk to her. And um, I just, thought he was being stupid and he probably was and um uh, but he takes credit for everything now so fast forward to freshman year we didn't really talk too much first semester to each other our, our paths uh, didn't really cross we had different friend groups sort of thing but they it was a small school so we did cross a little bit one of my roommates actually had a very big crush on elena and he would come back to the room and talk about how he uh wasn't sure if if she liked him and stuff like that. And I was just kind of like, eh, it's okay. Like, <laughs> and so, but then second semester of freshman year, we ended up sitting next to each other in Dr. Hartley's intro to lit class. So just a basic level class. But that was kind of the start of us really getting to know each other. And then that semester also, we both made the recruitment teams for uh, Johnson, Florida. She was on one team with actually Connor and I was on the other team uh, on the out-of-state team. She was in-state team, I was out-of-state team. And that entire summer we texted and talked and essentially there became a point like during it when we were like, okay, we want to date but there was rules against dating people that you worked with. So we had to wait until the summer was over. And so essentially the first night that we got back Uh, We started dating, and so we've officially dated since the start of our sophomore year.
0: (laughs) That's cool. So you said something a little bit earlier about a European perspective for ministry and that she had that perspective when you did not. Ultimately, you arrived at that perspective before you left Johnson. Talk about the development of that a little bit.
1: So when we were first figuring out whether we wanted to date each other or not, one of the first things that, that we had talked about was Elena wasn't a missions major. I didn't know that she was interested in missions at all or anything like that. And in my mind, there was nothing that was going to stop me from doing essentially what God has called me to do. So we sat down and, and I told her, I said, like, before this goes any further, are you okay with being a missionary and moving overseas? She looked at me and said, I'll do what God calls me to. And I was like, all right, well, if he's calling, like, if if we're going to date, then then that's what he's calling you to. So, um, (laughs) uh, so it was definitely something from the beginning that we understood and that we knew. And as I began to learn more about Elena, I actually began to find out that missions was a passion that she had had since middle school. Um, And it was specifically European missions. She from a young age had begun to realize and understand that the European church was dying and was suffering. Whereas in a lot of your, uh, like in Africa or Asia or stuff like that, you'll find some of the biggest churches in the world there. Uh, I heard a very awesome sermon at ICOM, the International Conference on Missions, um, about the global church. And, you know, it was very hopeful. Um, But it was a a man from Ghana came and and essentially one of the big lines that he said was, um, I hear Americans talk all the time about how the church is dying. He said, open your eyes and look at some perspective. The church might be dying over here, but the church in Africa is bigger and stronger than it has ever been in all of history combined. And he said, there is no need to be doubtful or afraid. The church is growing and it's bigger than it's ever been before. It's just the United States isn't the hub for it anymore. And at one point, Europe was the hub. Um, and so you just see these sort of things shift. And that's not to say we don't need missionaries in Africa or anything like that. We don't, it's not to say we don't need people. Uh, I have a lot of really good friends that, that uh, have felt called to different countries in Africa in um, different countries in Asia and stuff like that. A, a calling is all simply just about, you know, being obedient to God and what's God calling you to do. But for us, you know, I was I was very focused on uh, that sort of lifestyle. Actually, when I was in high school at a CIY, uh, there was a map for different missions around the world. And uh, they wanted us to go back and pray for a specific country and sort of put like a sticky note on there for the prayer. And I knew I wanted to be a missionary. And so I was like, I'm going to close my eyes and wherever I put it that's where I'm going to go. And I put my thumb on the map and it landed in Eastern Europe. There were no lines for countries necessarily. So I kind of looked up that area where I touched and it looked like it was on the border of like Romania and Ukraine. So I just chose Ukraine, knowing nothing about either of the two places. And that was where I was pretty dead set on going for like the longest time. And so I wasn't completely opposed to Europe. It was more so just Western Europe. And so Elena and I began to date and she had a very big heart for actually France and cause that was where a lot of that started. But when she was younger, a lot, when she had presented this idea of European missions, a lot of people had actually laughed at her and said like, of course you want to go do missions in Europe. You just want to go on vacation for the rest of your life sort of stuff. And so that kind of shut down the love for missions within her until we started talking and getting into college and and that sort of stuff. It was revived. Elena started to get her um, a minor in intercultural studies. Um, So she's a counseling major with a minor in intercultural studies. But I was still pretty hesitant to Europe. And then I took that church planning and discipleship class and realized that I personally, I didn't have the skills, in my opinion, to offer anything. So like a lot of missionaries, like that go to Haiti or anything like that. Like, you know, they'll have engineering degrees or agricultural degrees or, or construction background and stuff like that. And I was like, all I have is this intercultural studies degree. Like I don't like, and, and a Bible degree, like I don't have anything to offer those. And I love trades. Like uh, I, right now I do leather work and that's because leather tools are small. So I can actually bring them over to Scotland when we move. But if I, if we were settled down in a home, I would totally invest in woodworking tools and into carpentry. And I would love to get into making like just really awesome furniture and stuff like that. So I always say if I had believed that I was smarter uh, when I was younger, I probably would have ended up actually going for something like an engineering degree. And I almost, if I wouldn't have gotten into Johnson and then decided not to go into the military, I would have gone to a trade school. But I love leather work. I love working with my hands. But Elena was so focused on Europe and I was not. And it was in that church planning and discipleship class that I learned that I had a passion for relationship building and discipleship and finding people that had been hurt by the church and been given a bad representation of who Christ was, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally by people that are trying to portray Christ. Um, whether it be for their own selfish gain or power, um, or whether it be that they just misunderstand the gospel themselves. And I began to have a huge heart to really try to genuinely love people as Jesus had loved them and still loves them. And began to realize that Europe was a place like that, that had essentially a lot of people had been burned by the church of all denominations, even our own. Um, for different reasons. And so there are people that um, are searching for love and connection and going back to when I first got baptized, a place of belonging and aren't willing to find it in the church. And so I began to realize that, you know, maybe this European thing isn't such a bad idea. Maybe it's not just a vacation place. And once that idea hit, god opened the floodgates and doors started opening non-stop like we were originally going to go to ireland actually and the first no that we got for ireland was our visa denial uh, which happened like a month ago and we've been doing this for about two almost three years um, and that wasn't necessarily a no but it was more of like a we're going to pause here and we're going to go to scotland and we're super excited we actually just bought our plane tickets So we're moving over August 10th and it's crazy.
0: That's so cool. So it's just kind of a shift midstream, but you guys kept going. Yeah. So no longer Ireland, it's now Scotland. Yep. What are you guys going to be doing?
1: Church planting. We'll be with the Fellowship of Churches of Christ of UK and Ireland. That's the organization that we will uh, be with. Um, our mission-setting organization is New International. Um, they handle sort of our stateside stuff as missionaries, but in terms of church planting and that sort of stuff, we'll be with the, the fellowship is what they say for short. Hmm. We'll start off adjusting to the culture. Our upline, our regional director, Mark Michael, um, and Andrea Michael will have us sort of give us homework assignments of go search the city and do this sort of thing. Uh, we'll also be doing a European mi- ministry training through FORGE and just getting involved with some of the local church plants located in Edinburgh, Scotland. So
0: Cool. Sounds great. So you've been, s- since you graduated in 2018, you all have been preparing for the greater part of three years to go to Ireland. And yeah. you got the visa denial.
1: Yeah, we actually started fundraising while we were still at school. That spring break of our senior year, we drove down to Fort Myers, uh, talked with new international. Um, they set up our financial account and we started fundraising almost immediately. Hmm. And, um, I'll tell you what, I have learned more about my spiritual walk with God and my relationship with Elena and the hardships of all of that tears and happiness and all that different sort of stuff through merely just fundraising the, the The Scotland part of the ministry hasn't even started yet. And I already feel like I've learned so much from God. So,
0: well, this has been really great, Caleb. Thank you so much for giving, giving me so much of your time, your story, your journey, your, your, your heart and passion. You know, it's, it's great to learn from you, to learn from the experiences you've had. Also the, the journey you and Elena are taking together. All this has been wonderful, but before I let, let you go, I need to ask you two more questions. First one is through your entire journey uh, from coming to Christ, to growing, to going to Johnson, and now since graduation and getting ready to go on the mission field. What is something that you've learned that you would want to share with other people?
1: Hmm. That's a really good question. It's not that I feel like there isn't anything. It's that I feel like there's, there's so many things. I would say the the overarching lesson that I feel like God has definitely been teaching me through all of this has just been the importance of obedience. Uh, like if I, were to, if I were to use one word to sum up the lesson for this season of life, it would be obedience. You know, there were plenty of times where Elaine and I wanted to quit, you know, the world shuts down and COVID happens. And what was supposed to be just three months of living with, your in-laws turns into a year and a half, you know? And so there were a lot of times where we wanted to quit. We started looking at apartments in the area, you know, we started thinking about, but we didn't feel released from this calling. It almost felt like if we were to give up, it would almost be like blatant disobedience. Hmm. Now, a lot of people don't feel that strongly about their calling. It doesn't feel as, as, uh as clear and and that's okay i would say a majority of the time god's calling isn't as clear and sometimes it's a matter of just committing to uh something that is righteous and just in god's eyes you know but you know we we felt like we had we had essentially told god hey we want to do this and god said okay then we're going to do it and you know we didn't want to back out on it while god was still working on it One of the best pieces of advice that have stuck with me from Johnson, from college, uh, was actually when I was struggling with uh, the idea of moving to Ireland. And I went into uh, Kendi's office and I had explained, like, it just, it feels wrong. It feels like, like I had the mindset of it's going to be vacation this is a place that i wanted to go and visit my entire life. Like the place where my heritage comes from. Why would God ever call me to a place that I love? Which when you say out loud sounds completely dumb (laughs) because of course, God is going to call you to a place that you love. But Kendi said, you know, I said, it doesn't feel like I'm sacrificing anything. And Kendi said, we, we oftentimes forget that God calls us to obedience before he calls us to sacrifice. And that I found that to be true for so many things. God calls us to obedience before he calls us to stewardship. God calls us to obedience before he calls us to, uh, to sacrifice, to, uh, to justice, to, because the thing is, is that if we are all being obedient, and a lot of those things are a part of obedience, you know, but if we are all being obedient, then God is able to do as he wants and as he can with uh, the moving parts that are that are willing to be moved. And so that's the question that I kept asking myself through this whole time is, okay, God, what does it mean to be obedient to you today? And that's just stuck with me like the whole time during fundraising specifically, you know, I said the stewardship thing because there was one time where we were actually with a church and they didn't say that supporting us would be a bad stewardship of their money, but they, they essentially said that there was another ministry that was a better return on investment. And, you know, it, it was kind of frustrating. Um, you know, there was no prayer involved about whether we should be supported or not or anything like that. And, um, you know, if, if Isaiah had come to a church and asked for support, And then explained all of his ministry and how he had no followers and how he was actually mocked in in all these different sort of things. No church, I would say, in America would most likely support him because it would look like a bad stewardship. It would look like a bad opportunity of stewardship. Hmm. But look at the impact Isaiah had for the Jewish people and the prophecies he made about Jesus and all this different sort of stuff. And that was all because Isaiah was just obedient. It wasn't about the return on investment. Isaiah wasn't saying, you know, Lord, where are all the followers and everything? He was saying, Lord, even though nobody seems to be listening to me, I'm still going to remain obedient to you. And that was especially, that was a a lesson that was given to me by a good friend. um, That analogy of Isaiah, uh, Sean McIntosh. He's the worship minister at FCC Fort Myers. And it was just really encouraging about feeding into that whole idea of being obedient. And we, and because of that, because of that obedience, I think like I would honestly put Elena and I's support base up against anyone else's in terms of loyalty and prayer warriors, uh, people that just love us and care about us because they're awesome. They've been so supportive of us and we've been, we've apologized so many times. We're sorry. We're not there yet. All the different sort of stuff, things that Satan has sort of fed into our minds of like, you know, you're not doing a good job and, and they've just been encouraging and helpful. And, um, you know, if any of our supporters are listening right now, thank you so much. Like words cannot express, um, you guys are awesome and we are so blessed that God has given you to us.
0: Love that. That's a, that's a great word. Obedience. So one last question I have for you, Caleb, before we let you go is imagine that the whole world is going to listen to this podcast. You have 60 seconds to address them. What is it that you want to tell the world in 60 seconds? Before you give me your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojournal podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Caleb Elkins, a 2018 graduate of Johnson University, Florida, and his wife, Elena, are going to Scotland and Caleb has a 60-second message for the world. Caleb, what's your message?
1: It is so important to understand how much you are unconditionally loved by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a very simple message, and it's one that I feel like we hear all the time, but it is probably, I feel, one of the most important ones, that you are unconditionally loved by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Being a Christian and following Christ should take away our fear, not give us fear.
0: Well, you did that in under 60 seconds. That sounds good to me. If I would would
1: have have kept going, I feel like I would have rambled on for so long.
0: Well, Caleb, thank you so much for, uh, for that answer. Very good reminder of the love of God that just exceeds our understanding. I appreciate your time for the Sojournal podcast today. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And God's richest blessings to you and Elena on your journey to Scotland and all that he's going to do through you there.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Tyson. Glad to be here.
0: Catch new episodes of the Sojournal Podcast each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.